New Creation Realities. By Rod Anderson. Lesson 7. Father, once again, we thank you for your word. And again, O oh Lord, I thank you that you said the entrance of your word brings light. I love the simplicity of that. The entrance of your word brings light. And where light comes, darkness goes. So we open our hearts to your word, not to man's teaching. And we thank you for the entrance of your word. We trust that light will come into our spirits today once again. By virtue of the fact that you said you and your word are light. And again, oh God, I ask that you would please grant us that strong spirit of wisdom and revelation, revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus by having the eyes of our understanding opened so that we can see what is the hope of our calling. So we trust you to help us with this today, Father, as we look more into this truth about our right standing with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is how it reads in the Amplified. It says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus. And that's what's happened to us. That's what we've been teaching on. We have been recreated in Christ Jesus for a purpose. It says, We are, His, we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined or planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them and live the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. That's an incredible verse in the Amplified. But what we're starting out with here is just this fact that righteousness has its works. And it says there in the King James that we... We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. Now, what we're speaking of today is the fact that, okay, for the last six hours, we've been trying to communicate the fact that righteousness, not holy behavior, that's for another time, but right standing with God, remember, has been credited, Romans says, to us, credited to our account. Is that correct? We, 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 hopefully we got that by now, right? Right standing has been credited to our account, deposited to our account by virtue of our faith in Christ Jesus. We've been declared righteous. It's not that we are holy, holy people that never make mistakes, but we have had righteousness, God's own righteousness imputed to us because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Again, like Paul said, the life that I now live, I live by the faith. The life that I now live, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the one who loved me. Do you, do you hear that? And you, you, again, you, you get to quote that to yourself for about the next 30 years. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And again, I always try to say that slowly because I want us to really, really catch what Paul's saying. Before you can live by faith, your faith, you've got to live by 
his faith. In other words, walk in the truth of what he's done for you, okay? But once you have the revelation of this, once, in other words, it dawns on you that, wait a second, I've got right standing with God, which is what we've been teaching for six hours. I have right standing with God right now. Again, it's a phenomenal thing to say, and it's a far more phenomenal thing to believe it, that as we sit here this morning, to have an understanding that when you stand before God in heaven, you will not have any more right standing with God in heaven than you do right here. Think about that. You will not be any more righteous when you get to heaven than you are right now, as far as heaven is concerned, by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. But that's supposed to produce something in us. Now, I just wrote a little note to myself up here. Knowing that we've been declared righteous is supposed to, or intended to promote forward motion in our lives. In other words, works of those who realize they're in right standing with God. So point A on the outline says basically righteousness has its work. So let's just, I'm just going to read from the outline instead of going to the Amplified in a lot of this. James chapter 2 verse 21 through 26 is where James says just previously that he said, are you willing to be shown proof that righteousness apart from works doesn't happen? In other words, what he's saying by this is that if you have right standing with God, it's going to be proven by the fact that you're going to move out, you know, and start to make some motion. So let me just start verse 21 on the Amplified. This is from the NIV. I'm sorry, 21 from the outline. This is from the NIV. James says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. So as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, sometimes that confuses some people because it sounds like it's contradicting something. But really, all this is supposed to be communicating to us is that when... Now, listen to me. <laughs> that's, that's not my pacemaker, by the way. <laughs> when the truth of right standing strikes a human spirit, when the truth of, being, of having right standing with God strikes our spirit, it is supposed to so liberate you so disentangle you from the fear of man and from worries about what this world is trying to keep you down with, that it again promotes you into wanting to go do something with this truth. In other words, it's, it's what makes people do crazy things like Jackie Pullinger leaving a successful business and going to Hong Kong, to work, or going to China rather, to work in the hidden city and work amongst prostitutes and heroin addicts when she was a very successful you know, a person in insurance over here with Lloyd's. It makes, it's what causes people to go in mission fields for the rest of their life. It's what causes you and I to not be moved by what we see on the streets, but to be moved by what we see in heaven. It's what causes you, it's what causes young people to rise up and say, I actually am going to commit my life to following Christ because God 
if it is true that God is for me, then really who can be against me? In other words, it sets you free to take risks. It's what makes you go. It's what makes you try again. It's what makes you not stop because you've experienced a failure. Remember, as I often teach, failure is an event, not a person, that you must never derive your identity from an experience you've had where you've gone through a failure, that your identity is derived from Christ. But the point of all this is that, again, if there is a revelation of righteousness and this right standing with God, it's going to cause us to want to flow with that right standing with God and do what Jesus said, which is do the same works he did. Step out and do it. Now, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But the second part of the verse is what I want you to hear. But Daniel said, or this angel, actually this is Gabriel speaking to him here. And he said, But the people that do know their God, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Hallelujah. Right? So as we begin to really become intimate with him, like it says, we're going to draw strength like Ephesians says. Remember, we draw forth strength from our communion with God. And God's intent is that we get out there and do some exploits. Hallelujah. I forget who was it said it in this nation back in the 14th century, but they simply said this statement that a lot of people quote, attempt great things for God. It's just a simple statement. This old woman prophetess back in the 14th century she said, attempt great things for God. Attempt great things for God. In other words, don't, why shoot at 100 feet and then brag that you got a hold of it, all of 100 feet? In other words, shoot for the moon. And if you get half of it, praise God. But attempt great things for God. In other words, we have to be delivered from the small thinking issue. And see, this is what righteousness is supposed to promote in us. It's supposed to cause us to have a breadth of mind and a breadth of heart. I, I, what, you know, I'm restudying some other things right now for another conference thing I'm doing at some point. And in Solomon, it's, when, you, when you look at Solomon, when he asks for wisdom, there's a statement, I can't remember the scripture exactly, but it said that God gave him great breadth of heart, great breadth of mind. And in commentaries and in lexicons, it speaks about just how God touched him and he had a heart that got bigger than anyone else around him, that his mind got bigger than any mind around him to the point it says that from the cedars of Lebanon, it says down to the, the, the stuff that, that the hyssop that grew upon the wall. And it said from every animal it says from the large ones to the, it, it names the four classes of, of animal life. In other words, Solomon was the first naturalist, naturalist historian. And evidently, you know, and he wrote, like it says, 3,000, he wrote over 3,005 Proverbs. He wrote over 1,000, 1,005 Psalms, the Bible says back there in Chronicles. And he knew about every species of plant and he knew about every species of animal, creeping thing, crawling thing, or what have you. And like these commentators said, oh, what would naturalist scientists, what would scientists today give to have some of the original scrolls <laughs> that Solomon wrote, you know, that are lost to time from when God touched him and gave him heaven's wisdom. But he had great breadth of mind, great breadth of heart. The revelation of righteousness, I'm telling you, will expand 
your ability to conceive and understand and create. The Bible says God will give us knowledge of witty inventions in Proverbs. I mean, he is the creator. I've given this illustration many times, but I remember when my son, Jamie, who my son's got some great skills on the keyboard. And when he was a young man, he was listening to all, he was listening to a lot of stuff that I preferred he didn't listen to. And he told me, he said, well, dad, he said, I'm listening to this stuff because he said, I'm trying to learn some of their licks. You know, they call them, you know, I want to learn some of the chords and stuff they do. And I don't mind that, you know, I'm not a legalist. But I said, well, I said, what do you listen to that for? And he says, because I want to get some, I want to get more creative. I want to get some more creativity in my music. And I said, come here a minute. <laughs> he said that to the wrong person. You know, unfortunately, I'm his dad. He has a tough life. I said, you want to be more creative, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, and you think you're going to get more creative by listening to all that secular music? And he said, well, yeah, those guys are good. And I said, yeah, they're good. But I said, can I just suggest something to you? I said, have you ever considered the fact that God is called the creator? And he said, yeah. I said, would you possibly agree with me that just maybe God has a little bit of creativity? You know, then he said, yeah. And I said, well, I said, you know, you can begin to release your faith for God's creativity. I said, but again, you have not because you ask not. God will give you knowledge of witty inventions. And it means just that in Proverbs. God will show you new ways of doing things. I, I don't want to get off on all that, but I'm just trying to communicate. See, righteousness, the revelation of right standing with God causes you to, to attempt, try, do what others don't do. You'll try to build what others don't build. You'll want to go where others don't go. There's just something about this because the fear is gone from you. Perfect love drives out fear. It expels every trace of terror. And you suddenly get this revelation. I remember God saying to me years ago something I never will forget. And I don't know if this will mean anything to you or not because it was personal to me. But he said to me, he said, I just, why don't you just go try that? <laughs> something that I was going to go do. And I said, well, what if I fail? And he said, well, what if you do? He just said, what if you do? He said, am I going to leave you? And I said, no. And he said, well, let's go do it. And he just, he talked to me and he said, let's go do this. And so I went and did it and messed it up a little bit. And he said, that's all right. And he said, well, let's try this now. <laughs> what I mean is it was, it's like suddenly I got, I got like, I was like a little boy and I got to see that it's, I'm not called to do everything. And it's, and I don't understand why God, you know, we've made God into this legalistic little cummerbund. I don't know. <laughs> Well, all I know is, you know, we tighten him up right here and this is how he talks. This is how he speaks. And this is, and he, and he speaks absolutely perfectly to you every time. And you hear everything without, no, it's just not the way it works. The Bible says we're seen through a glass darkly. You know, we're in this earth. There's a lot of clutter in the atmosphere. Has anybody discovered that besides me? Oh, well, there's a lot of clutter in the atmosphere. You know, we get, there's mixed signals everywhere. And yet we learn, we can learn to be led by God's spirit. We can learn. But again, the first thing God always teaches his people is the fact that he loves you and will never, ever leave you. And so there's something about this process of life as you, work, you step out and you do something and, and it doesn't turn out exactly like you wanted. But you get this, all of a sudden when you see kind of God smiling at you and say, well, that's, and he's got his arm around you. Let's go again. There's just something about that that causes you to have so much freedom because you realize, wait a second, he's never going to leave me. We're right. We're good with each other. I've got right standing with God. And this is intended to cause us to get out there and do some things. Hallelujah. Now I've got this long quote from E.W. Kenyon's book on righteousness. 
I'm going to see if I can get all these old little books again. They're the best books, I'm telling you. Listen to this, this E.W. Kinnickle, point B on the works of righteousness. He says, what limits our using our righteousness? What is it that limits our acting upon the word and taking our place in Christ? What is it that holds us from taking advantage of our righteousness in Christ? We know that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. We know that God is the strength of our lives. We know that we have his ability. We know that he is our sufficiency to meet every crisis in our lives. We know that his word in our lips will heal the sick or strengthen the weak, awaken the unsaved to their condition and bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. All this we know. Why then are we so slow to act? It must be an unrenewed mind. After one is born again and comes into this vast inheritance of grace, his mind is not in harmony with his recreated spirit. So it is necessary that his mind be renewed. The unrenewed mind holds many men and women who might be greatly used of the Lord in a state of uselessness. Because when the word of God is ignored, reason takes the throne. Another reason why men fail to use their righteousness is because the senses rule their spirits. Fear and unbelief are on the throne. They are afraid to take their place. They see the need. They know they should be able to set that person free who's held in bondage by the adversary. But that unrenewed mind, that lack of spiritual initiative benumbs them. This comes from a low type of fellowship with the Father. They have no real appetite for the Word. They enjoy reading about the Bible more than they enjoy feasting upon it. There is no sense of appreciation of the Lordship of the Word, of its authority in their lips, or of their ability through the Word to stir men and women to real action. If one lacks the sense of the Lordship of the Word, they will never be able to use it although they may intellectually know that they are the righteousness of God, that they have the ability of God, that they have a legal right to use the name of Jesus Christ with all its authority. Again, this comes from a low type of fellowship. This comes from a low type of fellowship with God, from walking out of love. They do not recognize the Lordship of love, nor the Lordship of the word. They have no fearless confession of what they are in Christ. There's a sense of feebleness of spirit, a vacillating faith, a yielding to a circumstances. All the time they will acknowledge that they are the righteousness of God, yet they're not taking advantage of it. They're living in bondage to the senses. They are not practicing the word of righteousness. They are unconsciously turning to the senses for help and succor in their hour of need. They act, this, this statement, they act like common men. You know, in the Corinthians is where it says that, you know, that they act like mere men, unchanged men. That's what Paul said was the problem with the people of the church of Corinth. They act like common men. They are moved by the jealousies of those around them. They ignore their place in Christ. In a time of crisis, they seek for someone else to pray for them or to act for them. They ignore the use of the name of Jesus. They forget they forget what manner of men they are. They're living mediocre lives when they should be supermen. 
They're living mediocre lives when they should be supermen. They are weak when they should be strong. They have everything. They know their wealth. They know their rights. And yet they live in spiritual poverty. Why? Because they're not taking their place and acting upon the word of God. Now that may sound like that's tough, but you know, it's just the truth. At some point in our lives, you come face to face with the simplicity of the statement that everybody quotes. You and I have to learn how to walk by faith <laughs> and not by sight, by faith. Where the word of the Lord has lordship in our lives, where it actually is the final authority, where it actually is the final authority. There's many authorities, there's many voices, but where the word of the Lord actually becomes final authority. Final authority. And again, I say it in every class, there's not been many people who have done that. But again, if one ever has, it's proof that a second can do it or a third can do it and a fourth can do it. But this word is eternal. We must not judge what God's word says again by experiential knowledge or anybody else's failure with it. God's word remains God's word. It's of no private interpretation. And it's worked for people. And all things are possible for people who believe. <laughs> now the works of righteousness, of course, are seen first and foremost in the life of Jesus. And this, you may think this is just pedantic, but let's look at him. When you look at Jesus's ministry, Jesus, remember, was a man who stripped himself of all of his Godhead powers. And this was what the works of righteousness, of course, looked like in his ministry. But let's just read it and not take it for granted. Of course, everywhere he went, he preached the kingdom of God and he healed the sick. Matthew 8, 16 and 17. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he, this man that walked right with God, cast out spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He raised the dead. John 11 verses 40 through 44. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with the napkin. Jesus saith unto him, loose him and let him go. So he heals the sick, he raises the dead. On the next page, he casts out devils. Mark chapter five, verse eight through 15. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. And you can read the rest of it there. He cleansed the lepers, Mark chapter, Mark chapter one, verse 40 through 44. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, if thou wilt, the first thing this leper asked, he says, I'm not sure what your will is. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, touched him and said unto him, I will. All right, <laughs> I will be thou clean. Uh, you know, I'm not teaching on faith right now. Like I said, that's what we'll start teaching in, in June. 
uh, for those of you that are going to come on, you know, on the Saturdays. But you know what's remarkable when you watch the life of Jesus? Now, will you, will you agree with me that the Bible still says in Ephesians 5 that we're supposed to copy him? Does it say that Ephesians 5, 1, be ye therefore imitators of God and walk in love even as he hath loved us, right? Right? Jesus said, I, I do what the Father has shown me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. The works that I do shall you do. Greater works than these shall I do because I go unto the Father. But we're called to imitate him. We're called to walk like he walked. We're his brother. We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have the same spirit in us that he has. But you know, one of the things that I didn't get to on prayer because we'll cover it in, in healing and our, in faith and stuff, but just like right here, these few passages that I just read about like where he casts out spirits, where he cleanses the leper. I challenge my students when they teach on healing to show me one scripture, listen to this, where Jesus prays for the sick. Just thought I'd just pause for a moment. This is what I mean about being, we have a lot of people that are biblically ignorant and they, they think we're pulling at straws, but the Bible is the Bible. Jesus doesn't, doesn't pray for the sick. He speaks to them. Did you hear me? He speaks to them. See, in Ecclesiastes, it says, where the word of a king is, there's power. And he's the king of kings. He used words like a, like a, scalp, like a surgeon uses a scalpel. But this is one of the little things. So many people are praying for things that they should be speaking to. But righteousness, when you have a revelation of right standing, you see this, there is an authority that rises up in you and you take authority over stuff. And I mean, you don't just use that phrase like the people used to years ago and everybody just mimic it. But I'm saying when it's carved into your heart, you find yourself resisting stuff and speaking to stuff and saying no further. And you're not praying, asking God to do something. You're saying no, because you're the person that has right standing with God. Julie knows for all of my Christian experience when I got a hold of this, when it's come to like, you know, I, and by the glory of God, and honestly, and people always say, you better be careful when you say stuff like this because the devil will get you. I always remember somebody saying, you better be careful. The devil will listen to you. The devil will hear you say that. And I always look back at him because I was taught by my spiritual father. And he said this, he roared this. He said, that's exactly who I want to hear me. <laughs> you know, is the devil. I'm not afraid of him hearing me. But you see, if you speak it from your head, you, you, you may as well, you shouldn't talk. But what I'm saying is I haven't like, you know, as far as I've got a thing I'm dealing with, my knee and what have you. And I, I'll, I can probably explain that another time. But, you know, I haven't had a cold. I can't remember being sick in the last, uh, well, several, several. It's been years and years since I've been sick. Years. Does that mean sickness doesn't come to me? Uh, no, sickness comes. But I've... I learned all those years ago, I mean, this works for me. I'm not teaching you something that doesn't work in my life. But I don't pray for God's healing. I don't ask God to heal me because like we said last Thursday, or on Thursday night, the other, when we finished that, you know, the righteousness of God, or last week here rather, the righteousness of God speaks on this wise. I do not ask Christ to come down from above and heal me because he's already healed me. I don't ask him to come up from beneath because he's already done the work. But the word of faith is nigh me. It's even in my mouth and in my heart. That is the word of faith which he preached to us. That if I would confess with my mouth and believe with my heart. 
that God had already done what he did, that he'd already raised Jesus from the dead, that the price had already been paid. So what I'm trying to spit out is this. I've learned that when something comes to me, I speak to it, I resist it, and I tell it it's unlawful. In the name of Jesus Christ, I resist you. You will not come into this flesh. You're unlawful, you are trespassing, and I command you out of my body. That's what I do. That's what's worked for me for many, 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 many years. It still amazes me to this day how when you feel something coming on like a common cold or something like that, how it'll be there for a little bit, and I'll, but I've had to learn to jump on it quick. I, you don't wait till it's got a lodging in you, you know, till people always laugh at me when I don't want to get ahead of myself because I'm not teaching on healing. I got three lessons I got to go through. But you know, people wait, you know, like, <coughs> they wake up, remember, and they have a little cough. Don't do anything about it. The second day they wake up, <coughs> still don't do anything about it. The third day they wake up, <coughs> they still don't do anything about it. Then the fourth day they wake up, they go, <coughs> and they go, in the name of Jesus, I believe I, you know, they wait until the thing's got a hold in them. You don't, you, you have to, like my wonderful father used to say when we raised all those chickens, they, every once in a while these June bugs in California during the hot weather would make a mistake of, we had these 5,000 chickens, white leghorn chickens that ran out in open range. I mean, they were in pens. But, and these bugs would fly and make a mistake of flying into that chicken pen. And that was the last light of day those bugs ever saw. <laughs> My dad used to say, you got to jump on stuff like a chicken on a June bug. When sickness and disease starts to come at you, you got to jump on it quick. You don't wait till something lodges in you. When the fear of loss and failure and all, whatever it is, I'm just saying, you see, righteousness rises up and speaks to things. That's what God did. The heavens and the earth were created by words. But you say, well, that's fine, but that's Jesus. That's just in Jesus' ministry. But now let's look at the apostles' ministry. Just turn to Acts 5 for a moment and let's just look at this just real quickly here because like I said, I, I need to move on to some other things. Now, not to embarrass my lovely friend back there who's interpreting, but like, you know, she, she, very, she's, she brought a commentary to me today and she wanted to ask my opinion of it, which I appreciate her wanting me to read it because she wasn't sure if it was a good one or not. And the first thing I did was go to a passage like Mark 16. I went to, because I've learned over the years what to do, whether I'm going to check out a book, whether or not I want to read it. And the first thing I did is went to the Great Commission in Mark 16, and I brought her up here and showed her exactly what he said, where this commentator in the book that she got back there, that she's going to take back, she said. <laughs> he said categorically, you know, that all these miracles were, of course, only for the days of the apostles. And now that we have the Bible, it's complete. There are no needs for any miracles any longer. And that's what's called cessationism. You know, they believe that all of the miracles ceased during the days of the apostles. Well, Acts, well, I, I don't want to turn to all of them. In Acts, it says this stuff is for us, for our children, and for all of those in our future. I mean, it's very clear. But anyhow, Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, Now by the hands of the apostles, numerous and startling signs and wonders were being performed among the people. And by common consent, they all met together at the temple in the covered porch called Solomon's. Verse 13, and none of those who were not of their number dared to join and associate with them, but the people held them in high regard and praised and made much of them. 
Verse 14, more and more there were being added to the Lord those who believed, those who acknowledged Jesus as their Savior and devoted themselves to him. They joined and they gathered with him crowds, both of men and women. Verse 15, so that they even kept carrying out the sick into the streets and placing them on couches and sleeping pads in the hope that as Peter passed by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Verse 16, and all the people gathered also from the towns and hamlets around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those troubled with foul spirits. And what's the next part say? And they were all cured, right? So we're not talking about something that just happened in the ministry of Jesus. And let me ask you the question. I keep asking you all the time. I know you get bored with me. Are you going to tell me that these apostles were perfect people? If you've read anything in the four gospels, you know that they were far from being perfect people. Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. Thomas didn't believe anything. James and John were trying to call fire down on people. Jesus had, this was his staff. I mean, Jesus, these are the guys that he had with him. They had a lot of problems. They were crazy. They'd get at strife with each other at times, remember? They were, there was problems along the way, it says, and they weren't able to cast devils out of people. And Jesus told them, it's because you were who, what, what were you disputing amongst yourselves along the way? And they were talking about who would be one, who would be up above another and what have you. And they were lifted up in pride. But nevertheless, when God's spirit came upon these men afterwards in the day of Pentecost, they went out and they began to obey him and they did what he said. They preached the word. They did what God told them to do and God did what he said he would do. They preached the word and he confirmed the word with signs and wonders following, didn't he? Didn't he? And God is no respecter person, but just keep hearing why I keep saying that. These people weren't perfect men. None of us will be perfect people. But what they did have was a revelation of the fact that they were saved, that Jesus Christ was the Lord of Lords and he was their Lord. They'd seen him, they'd witnessed him. They had right standing with God because of him. This is what they learned. Well, you see, I'm saved and he's my Lord and I've got right standing with him. So I shouldn't doubt that I can walk and have these same things happen in my life and neither should you. So the apostles ministry, he healed the sick. Acts chapter nine, you don't have to turn there, but that's where, you know, Tabitha's raised from the dead. They raised the dead. Acts 16 is when Paul was, you know, dealing with this woman following him around all the time, saying, behold, you know, the servants of the most high God, they show unto you the way of salvation, which most preachers would love to have. They'd love to have somebody following them around saying, behold, the servants of the most high God. But the Bible says after many days, Paul was grieved in his spirit and he turned and he said to the spirit in the woman. And there again, things you learn that he didn't speak to the woman. It says he spoke to the spirit in the woman and said, come out of her, the spirit of divination. So these works of righteousness, I'm just, this is all we're trying to get across here. You guys are looking at me like a cow at a new gate. <laughs> these works of righteousness, the same things that were happening in Jesus's ministry are happening in his disciples ministry. They cast out devils and Acts chapter 19, salvation in the Holy Spirit was ministered to them as well, ministered to people. And like I said, in point three, they were meeting the needs of mankind. Point C, the commission. It says we are to follow the pattern set by Jesus. John 14, 12 says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. Now think about it. How could he say that if we weren't going to have the same equipment that he had? 
In other words, otherwise, it wouldn't draw any attention to the Father. And he said, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto the Father. And again, you know, people still stumble over that. The word greater doesn't mean bigger than. It means more than. And the reason there's going to be greater, many more works than what he did. Listen to that. I mean, he prophesied that in his office of a prophet. He said, the works that I do, you will do, and greater works than these are you going to do. Many more, many more things than, I, than what I've done. You're going to do just what I did and much more than what I did because whereas there was one of me, now at first there's going to be 11 of you. Then there's going to be 100 and some of you in the day of Pentecost. Then on the same day, you're going to see another six or 7,000 converted that are going to be filled with the same spirit. Remember, like I said, what Satan saw on the day of Pentecost? <laughs> and now on the earth, we don't know how many people have been filled with the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. But the problem is today, like we read that thing of Kenyon, see, our minds are unrenewed to this fact. Excuse me if I start getting a little loud, but I'm starting to get churned up here. Our minds aren't alive to this. Or like Thursday night again, it's not become raiment to us. It's the living voice that needs to be speaking to us, not some dead letter in the word. This stuff needs to be alive to us. And like Kenyon said there, it comes, the reason that we don't have it is because of a low type of fellowship. We don't allow the Word of God to have lordship in our lives. It's something worth studying. It's just something worth studying. That's why, don't get mad at me, but you know what? If you've been to college, university, you know you have ology. What's ology mean? What's that, what's that suffix mean on the end of a word? It means the study of something, doesn't it? Right? Geology, the study of the earth. Archaeology, you know, uh, whatever it is. Anthropology, the study of man. The study of, the study of. Well, see, theology is the study of God. Well, that, you know, you're studying God and up there somewhere paints this picture of God studying us. In other words, one of us is a monkey in the zoo. We just don't know which one. But Christianity is not about the study of God. It's relationship with him. He's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Oh, man, some of this, one of the, sometimes, sometimes it's just one of those days, you know what I mean? You think I look funny, you ought to see what I'm looking at up here. You know? <laughs> but he's alive, you see, and what, whatever it takes for this to become a living word, the living voice to you, that's what you've got to work at. And I'm telling you, it's just like a day like this sometimes. You know, I don't know what you did on your Friday nights, you know what I mean? Some people are sleepy, some people are tired. You have to learn to press past it. I got to tell you, you know, not nowadays, unfortunately, this body doesn't have what it used to have. But, you know, in the old days, because of my horrific blood and guts testimony, you know, when I was in the penitentiary, when I was in prison, I didn't have much fat on me in those days because all I had, I had nothing to do but work out and weights and what have you. And, and what I'm trying to say is everybody knew when you worked out, when you worked with weights, when you're in gym or what have you. I mean, it's only when the pressure is pushing on you. You know, the harder the pressure, that's when the strength is coming. What I mean is when there's pressure, strength comes from putting pressure against pressure. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? It's not just from falling under whatever comes. Strength comes from putting pressure back on pressure. And see, just like this, when days like, I don't just use this for a, for a little, like right now, it's like I can feel something in the spirit. I can feel like a, a lackadaisical kind of a <gasps> sleepiness about something like that. That's what, and I get, I've learned when I'm in prayer and I come and I'm confronted with that, that's when I get a little louder. I press a little harder. It's just that you get to the place where I say, I am not going to allow atmospheres to dictate to me. I am going to be bigger than this and I'm going to dictate to it. I refuse this stuff. 
to pressure me into a corner. If anybody's going to be pressured, it's going to be them, not me. But you have to rise up. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? I can't rise up for you. You have to rise up yourself. You have to train yourself towards this. The Bible says you exercise yourself towards godliness. And you know that's in the Bible, that verse? Timothy, you exercise yourself towards godliness. You exercise yourself towards godliness. You hear me? You work with your faith because it's a muscle and it grows stronger and stronger. Well, we're to follow the pattern set by Jesus. Turn the page. Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. Now think about it. He said, you will be a witness. The Bible says we're to be living epistles. We are to be a witness of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in this earth. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. Point C, the Great Commission, Mark 16, verses 15 to 20. He said, go into all the world. Preach the good news to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs, he said, will accompany those who believe. Now listen, did he say that or not? Is it the truth or not? Is it? Okay, listen. If there's no signs following, then we have to ask ourselves some questions. And the first question is, it says here that these signs will accompany those who believe. Well, if there's no signs accompanying us, uh, then really there's only two things that I can find in Scripture that are wrong. We're not preaching the Word because signs follow God the preaching of the Word, or we don't believe. It's, can you just let it be that simple? Huh? Would you quit blaming others, quit blaming teaching, quit blaming teachers? Just realize if God's word is true, it's true. If it's not working yet, the problem's not on God's end. It's on mine. I've just got some more stuff to learn. But what I'm not going to do is get depressed and I'm not going to get frustrated and I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to back off and I'm not going to listen to the 3,000 other people that say, well, you know, it doesn't work and that stuff never did work. And all of us at our church, we don't believe it works. So why don't you join us? We're called the church of the don't work, you know. We all go there and everybody else, we all believe together that it doesn't work. And we're all very happy because it doesn't work for any of us. <laughs> You know, Hebrews says this, unto us as well as unto them. Listen to that verse. Unto us as well as unto them was the word preached. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You see, there's only two categories of people, us and them. For unto us was the word preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith in them that heard it. There's us and them, guys. You get to choose who you want to side with. But when you side with us, whoever us is, and us are those who believe, it's another walk. It takes some strength. It takes some old-fashioned spiritual backbone. Because I guarantee you what Jesus said is that persecution will arise for the word's sake. Do you hear me? You will be persecuted when you begin to step towards the stuff. They will tell you you're extreme. They will, they, because again, you've got to understand the majority does not believe like this. The majority spends more energy looking for excuses than they do looking for the solutions. And you know what? What you look for, you find. What you look for, you find. 
These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Hallelujah. I do that. How about you? Just say, I do that. Just make yourself feel better. Anyhow, after the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples, they went out and they preached everywhere. And the Lord said, you know, I've changed my mind. These guys preach. I ain't doing zip. (laughs) Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word with signs that accompanied Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. I mean, please don't just quote that verse. Hear what the man said. All. You know, all is either all or it isn't. Remember, it's the word exousia. All authority. Now, this man that said this is my Lord. He's my friend. We're brothers. He's my brother. I'm a joint heir with him. I don't know about you. Actually, I really don't know about you. (laughs) But he's my friend and he's my brother. And he said, all authority has been given unto me. I mean, this is my brother. He's got all authority over all the power of the devil. So I don't care what the devil does, what his power is. This guy I walk with has so much more authority than he does. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. So what is he doing? He's delegating. He's saying, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the summary is if we have the nature of God, we will do the things that the nature of God would do. We are to give the nature of God right away in us. This will cause us to grow marvelously. Men will not understand it. It will be beyond their reason because we've let God's nature gain the ascendancy in us. Hallelujah. So righteousness indeed will produce works. The works that Jesus did are the example that we're to follow. And we have a right to do. We have a right to do. Not only the right to do the works that Jesus did, but we're called and commanded to do them. In Jesus' name, that is the truth. And I have to stop now. Amen. Father, we thank you for this much. We praise you that the word of the Lord is truth. And we're going to hide these things in our own hearts, Father, until they become engraved there. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we thank you for it. Amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.